Good morning. At this point, I usually say good morning to all of you in the room, and then I look at the camera and I say to those of you in Olmstead Falls. But now I'm looking over here to those of you over here from Olmstead Falls. Thanks for being here. Want to continue running in the the series that we've been looking at over these last weeks, we're looking at the Minor Prophets. Today we're in the book of Habakkuk. We call them the Minor Prophets. They didn't call themselves the Minor Prophets. They were just prophets, but their books, the, what we've received, are shorter than some of the Isaiahs and Jeremiahs, and that's how they got that name. We are just a couple weeks from... Uh, finalizing our time here and moving across the ocean to West Africa, one of the things that we had to do about a month ago was load up some of the things that we would need to set up a house in Abidjan and put it in a shipping container and off it went. So that meant that we had to go to a store a number of times to get different things that we would need. One of the stores that we went to way too many times was Home Goods in North Olmsted. Now, if you've ever shopped at TJ Maxx, when you go to check out and leave. It's not like other stores where, you know, there's like a whole bunch of lines that you can go into and you just find the shortest one and go jump in. It's just one line, and then when you get to the head of the line, they call you up to the register, and it's like getting through a gauntlet. Like, you're walking, and on both sides of you are these shelves just full of all this stuff that you, well, you probably need, but you forgot to get. Like, how are you supposed to go without caramel popcorn and all these other things? <laughs> and so now, I've, it's like a game for me. I just want to get through there and not add one thing to my cart. But right in the middle of the section, there's usually a number of, like, plaques, wall hangings with these sayings on them that Every time I stop and look at and think, now who sits around and thinks up these things and who actually buys these? So you have these little plaques that say innocuous things like, hey, you do you. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, that, that's almost a direct quote from the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes and it was a disaster. But if you want to put that on your wall, you go with it. But, walking through one day, and to my chagrin, in the middle of these goofy sayings, is these words from Habakkuk. Let me read them to you. They come from Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk the prophet says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Wow. I don't think these words were intended for a wall plaque. They were actually these deep words of actually pain in the soul of a prophet. They're some of the most beautiful words of worship found in the Bible. So as we jump into this this morning, let me just ask you, have you ever questioned God? Have you ever doubted God? Maybe been angry at God? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because then I'll have to ask how many of you are actually telling the truth. 
Because it's not something we want to admit. But it's something that anybody who wants to walk with God comes upon. Habakkuk got to that place. Actually, the Bible denounces unbelief. Bible says that we will all be held accountable whether we believed God or did not. Doubt is different than unbelief. Doubt is not a place that you want to live, but doubt can be evidence of belief, not of its absence. Atheists and materialists, they don't struggle with doubts about God. They just don't believe that he exists. But for the believer, there are moments when what I believe about God conflicts with what I'm experiencing and it creates dissonance in my soul. Habakkuk. He was one of God's prophets. The book of Habakkuk is it's a little bit different than the other prophetic books that we've been studying. The book is not a message given to Habakkuk to give to God's people. It's more of a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. The, the, the conversation is about how do you trust in the goodness of God that God is actually just when the situation that you're living in seems to be saying a different message. So here are the opening words of the conversation. This is from chapter 1, Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk cries out to God, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't seem to listen. Or I cry to you, violence. But you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction, violence, they're before me. There's strife and conflict abounding. The law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked seem to hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Wow, that is, that's, that's a start to a conversation. Habakkuk doesn't turn left and right. He goes right to the pain in his soul and brings it to God. But before we look at his prayer, his cry, I want to look a little bit at the story so you understand where these words are coming from. Habakkuk is among a group of prophets that we have uh, in the Old Testament that, that mostly were between the time of the kings and the time of the, the captivity of Israel, and they were sent by God to speak to God's people to turn back to God. So Habakkuk is one of those. And, and most of these prophets came with a message of judgment. Now our generation is not real comfortable with judgment and have trouble believing that the judgment of God could actually be loving. Well, it's actually passionately loving. You see, love without consequence, without judgment, is void of meaning. So God chooses this people, the people of Israel, and makes a covenant with them and has the desire to reveal, not just to them, but through them to the whole world, his glory and his unfailing love. So to do that, he makes a covenant with them. That, that, that's what true love looks like. It commits. And God commits himself to this people. 
I will be your God. You will be my people. What did he ask for in return? We asked simply that they would honor him and worship him above all other gods. Terms of the covenant were really clear right from the beginning. God promised to be their God, to protect them, to provide a land for them, to care for them. And all he asks of them is to be faithful to him. But he said to them, if you are not, I'm going to chase you out of the land. So this place was supposed to be a place where the shalom, the peace of God was seen and known, where, where justice was lived out, where people were not enslaved by idols, where the glory of God was seen, but over and over they failed. So God would send a prophet. The people, they, they did the religious stuff. I mean, they, they did the liturgy, they went to the temple, they sang the songs, but they didn't honor God. So God sends Hosea. Not just with the message, but he asked Hosea to marry a prostitute. The message was not just spoken, it was lived. He, he, he took this woman into his home and, and gave her a home and protection and provision and had children and, and she, she left them, went and prostituted herself. And God says through the prophet, I've cared for you, my people. I've taken, I, I've protected you. I've given you a land. And you just continue to walk away. And then he sends Micah Amos and Nahum and continues to call his people back, but they continue to ignore the call. And they tell God's people that if you don't turn, judgment is coming. Now the judgment of God is not, it's not that God's sitting with a laser in heaven just waiting for somebody to step left or right. And that's not what the judgment of God looks like. The judgment of God is actually built into the very fabric of his creation. That, that if we love and honor him, the shalom of God comes. But when we choose to not love him first, with Israel, it says, the prophet Isaiah says that he's just going to take his hands off. If you choose not to honor him, like how did Israel get there? They got there because of God. It wasn't because they had a strong army. It wasn't because they were so amazing. It wasn't because of their resources. It was 100% God. So God says to them, if you don't want me, I'll take my hands off. And when that happens, we are destroyed by our own evil. So here comes Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the prophets and he comes calling out a message of repentance. Turn back to God. And if you don't, judgment is coming. Here's the bad news. It didn't come. So Habakkuk says, God, you asked me to speak this message. It, it's worse than when I started. I preach about your justice and about your judgment. It doesn't come. It's getting worse. Doubt creeps in. How do I believe that you're a God of justice, but when I preach your message, nothing changes. 
And he asked God, do you even care about the evil and the injustice? Maybe you've been in that place. When you, when you believe that, that God is, is, is good and he's loving, but you yourself feel unloved, doubt creeps in. Oh, you believe that, that God is just, but when you look at the picture, it seems like all the wrong people are winning. Doubt comes knocking on the door. Or you believe God is all-powerful. He can do anything. But you yourself feel powerless. Doubt seeps in. Well, that's where Habakkuk was living. What I want you to see today is what he does about that. How does he find his way back to trust? You see, worship is not about saying nice things about God. Worship is actually trusting him. So how does he get from here to here? Well, this is what he does. He cries out to God. Habakkuk worships his way back to God. But the worship doesn't look exactly like what we might think worship is. In fact, he cries out, he laments, he moans. Lament, the practice of lamenting, was a very common part of ancient Hebrew worship. So in the Old Testament, right in the middle of the Old Testament, there's this book that we call the Psalms. It's a song book. It's a, it's a worship guide. It teaches them and us, how do you worship? Well, if you observe it, Westerman says there's two different kinds of basic psalms. There's psalms of praise and there's songs of lament. If you leave one or the other out, your, your worship starts to limp. So for the Hebrews, they were used to doing this. This was part of their worship. The, the prayers of the psalms, they're not like informational Sometimes our prayers sound like information we're giving to God. Their prayers were not informational. They were passionate. They were poetic. Poetry and music, they're not given to us to, to inform somebody. They're given to us to express to God. So, lament. Lament is this specific form. As soon as they heard it, they knew what it was. So a Hebrew that would read these words in Habakkuk, right away they would know where this thing is going because it's something that they did all the time. We read it and go, oh yeah, okay, that's... They understood the language of lament and, 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 and it's an invitation not just to, to speak and to say words, it's an invitation to sentiment, to, to feel. In our modern worship... Lament, it's come on hard times. In fact, a lot of places it's just disappeared uh, and been replaced by what Song Chun Ra in his book Prophetic Lament calls triumphalism. Like, just sing louder and God wins and yay God. And your praise is, is really important but in the absence of lament, it limps. So, understand that the intent of worship is not to make us happy. It's not to make us feel good. It's to bring us to trust God. 
So, lament has this very specific form to it. In any art, form is really important. It helps you understand what's happening. So all forms of art, or all art, has form to it. TV shows, they're not real great art, but they have a form to them. As Pastor Josiah talked about a couple weeks ago, we have this propensity to be drawn to watching murder mysteries. I'm guilty. I, I like to watch murder mysteries. It's kind of crazy because they always end the same. You know what's going to happen. But you not only know what's going to happen, you know when it's going to happen. So if it's a 45-minute show, about minute 38 or 39, it's going to take a right turn. The good guys are going to start to win. So I'm watching one with Nadia a couple weeks ago, and it's only 10 minutes into the show, and they already found the bad guys. And you're like, wait a minute. This is way too early. Like, what's going to happen now? Because you under, nobody explains it to you. You just know. Music is like that. You get in your car and you turn on the radio and country music starts playing. Right away, you know somebody lost something. <laughs> they lost their wife, they lost their pickup, something went wrong. <laughs> Sorry, if you're a country music lover, no offense, I'm just saying. Lament is like that. It has a form to it. In the Psalms, the way that it works is you come to God and it's always addressed to God. And the first expression is emotional. It's deep feeling. Crying out to God, God, where are you? How long? I've been crying on my pillow for weeks. Where are you? And then the next turn in a lament is it's, it's a petition to God. Like, God, if you don't act, I'm not going to make it. If you don't intervene here, your name is going to... Cries out to God. And then the last move of the lament, if you read in the Psalms, like Psalm 13, is, you'll, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It takes a turn, and it's not to happy praise. It's to heartfelt trust. I may never understand this, God, but I am going to appeal to the generations and generations of your faithfulness, and I'm going to grab on to trust. It's beautiful. That's what Habakkuk is doing here. Now, these laments, they're not to help you complain or whine. That's not what they're about. They're about expressing relational pain to God. When you walk through sorrow, what words are you going to use to talk to God? Well, sadly, we don't really have a form for this anymore. So when people walk through difficult times, we have a temptation to tell them, hey, just sing louder. Just keep singing. Praise. Well, if, if you're walking through sorrow, those words... Don't find you. Remember when I was growing up, my mom sang all the time. She sang when she was working. She sang when she was driving. She sang when she was walking. She just would always be singing. And she, she sang a lot of hymns. That's how I learned a lot of the hymns that I know. But every once in a while, I'd hear her singing a song that I'd never heard before. 
there's a couple of them. Songs like, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Man, where did that come from? We don't ever sing that in church. Christmas time, she would sing this spiritual called Sweet Little Jesus Boy, born so long ago. The second verse talks about Jesus, they treated you mean. They treat me mean too. But that's how folks is down here. They don't know who you are. Those songs were written by slaves. They, they never made it into our hymnals, but they're some of the most beautiful songs of lament in the English language. But we don't have forms for those anymore, so we become poor in our expression. So what are the forms that we have today? Well, a couple years ago, my daughter Angel took a class at Wheaton College in the meaning and importance of rap music. I have not listened to a lot of rap music, so it was all new to me. But wow, I learned a lot. So often, we hear things like rap music, and yeah, no, that's it. And we never stop to listen to some of the things that are being said. So my daughter would send me songs, and wow. Not only the words, but the very form itself calls your heart. So what am I saying? I'm not saying you need to go home and become a rapper. What I am saying is, all of us need to learn how to lament. Our souls need it desperately. Habakkuk lamented his way back to God. So, that was the cry of his heart. What was the conversation about? What was the question? Well, the question was pretty simple. His question is, Lord, how can you let injustice continue. You told your people that this is what would happen. You told me to tell them that's what would happen. And I told them, and it didn't happen. The unrighteous seem to be winning here. Habakkuk is a prophet. He actually went to prophet school. He's the only one among the prophets that identifies himself as a prophet because he went to prophet school. Most of them didn't. They were shepherds, sheep herders, carpenters that God called out to, to, to speak a message. But Habakkuk actually went to prophet school. He, he learned and was trained in the art of prophetic utterance. And, and actually, this piece of poetry is regarded as one of the most beautiful pieces of poetry in the Hebrew language. It's beautiful. So, God's answer comes to this prophet. Cries out to God, and God says, Habakkuk, do not worry. May seem slow to you, but my answer is coming. He said, when you see it, you're not even going to believe it. That even as we speak, Babylon is getting more and more powerful. They're swallowing up nations. They're swallowing up cities. They are coming, and they will come to Jerusalem, and they will take Judah captive. Ah. The, the prophet's like, wait a minute. How does that work? How do you take somebody who's worse than us to judge us? 
And that's what he says to God. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment on us. You, my rock, you've ordained them to punish us. How can you use those who are more evil than us to judge us? So God's answer just made his life even more complicated. But now God answers. And here's God's answer. First thing that God says to the prophet is wait. Wait. He's right down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. Sometimes we're troubled by God's timing. God reminds his prophet, what I have spoken is yes and amen. May seem slow to you, but it will happen. He also is saying to him that, that I govern the nations. You may think Babylon's writing the story. No, the pen's in my hand. Then he says to the prophet, watch. Stand back and watch. In chapter 2, verse 14, he makes this declaration. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is God saying, this is the end. The earth will exalt and glorify the Lord. Hasn't fully happened yet, but it is happening and it will come to fruition. So, why are all these judgments coming on Israel? Because of their idolatry. Idolatry is simply giving glory that belongs to God to someone else or something else, and it will always fail. So God in his kindness doesn't want them to be destroyed by their idols. He sends prophets to call them. They don't listen, and now he sends Babylon. Not to destroy them, but so that they will finally turn from their idols. So, God is saying to this prophet that whenever a person or a group of people or a nation participates in revealing God's glory, they walk in God's blessing. Whenever they don't, whenever they seek their own glory, it always fails. God's glory will reign in all the earth. The earth will never be filled with the glory of nations, only with the glory of God. Those are really hard words. God does not need Israel for his glory. He did not need Babylon for his glory. He did not need Rome for his glory. He does not need America for his glory. His glory stands alone. And he says, if you will participate in my glory, you will walk in the shalom of God. Now he pronounces to the prophet five woes. He's speaking to Babylon, but the message is to any nation, any person that 
seeks something other than the glory of God. So he talks about in verse 9 and 12, those who build kingdoms by unjust gain, those who build empires, those who worship wealth and pile up extorted riches, those who make God, their God, money, he says, they're going to be destroyed by their own greed. Then he says those who build empires with bloodshed, whose God is power, the very sword that they use will turn against them. He says, verse 15, those who are given to drunkenness and exploit others for sensual ends. Wow, does that sound like our generation? He says, their very sensuality will cover them with shame. If you read through these woes, what he's saying to the prophet is for a time, it looks like these people are walking scot-free. They're winning. They're not. Their very evil is going to destroy them. It's a heavy message. See, Israel's problem was never Assyria. Israel's problem was never Babylon. It was always their own hearts. So God speaks this message to the prophet, and then he closes his words to the prophet, chapter 2, verse 20, with these words. He said, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole world be quiet. It's his way of saying to Habakkuk, just sit back and watch. I got this. In his presence, there is peace. Those are the words that he spoke to Habakkuk. You know what? Every one of them came true. Israel went into captivity. Babylon rose up as his world power, and it was destroyed by the Medes and the Persians. Rome rose up, became a world power, dominated the world. You remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate, and Pilate said to him, do you know who I am? I have the authority of Rome. I have authority over your life and death. And Jesus said to him, Actually, the only authority that you have is what has been given to you by my father. Saying to the prophet, it may look like that in the picture that you're looking at, but just you wait. I will accomplish my word. So Habakkuk listens to, to God's words to him and now he responds. Chapter 3 is just this beautiful worship, is, is the word I'll use. The, the intent of a lament is to worship. It's not to say nice things to God. It's to, to bring your heart back to trusting God. So how did that happen? How do laments work? Well, in the story, it's really important the place that this happened. Habakkuk says went alone. He didn't go to social media. He didn't go talk to some prophet friends. He didn't go. He went to be with God. And he went to the watchtower and he said, I am going to stay here until I hear your voice. It's always in God's presence that healing comes, that doubts are assuaged, that hope is breathed. Lament has power when it's done to God in the presence of God. 
It also helps bring perspective. One of the things that happens in a lament is a remembering. If you look in the Psalms, you'll see this little word, selah. And, and often that means stop. And, and it's in that moment of stop. Wow, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I see. God, if you don't intervene, this is what's going to happen. Stop. And sometimes in those moments, a choir would sing and sing the remembrances of the faithfulness of God. And that's what Habakkuk does here. He recounts the power of God in creation. And then he concludes, he says, the just will live by faith. He doesn't say that when I see all of this, then I'm going to sing. He says, by faith can't see it right now, and maybe I'll never see it, but I will trust. See, Pastor Joel, that's really beautiful. How do you do that? Can I encourage you that learning to lament is like learning a language? And if you need some good teachers, turn to the book of Psalms. Lament helps your soul to trust God. And sometimes when we walk through sorrow and we can't find words, we stop talking to God. The Psalms don't do that. They keep talking and, and they give you words to do that. If Habakkuk was here today, I think he might say to us, he says in chapter 3, he, he doesn't say when this happens. He says, I may never see the things that you've spoken of, God, but even if I don't. So if he was here today, he might say to us, you know what? Even if this pandemic continues for years, e even if the stock market crashes, even if the dreams I have don't happen Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Those are words of profound trust. We're going to sing a, just a chorus in closing. An invitation to remember. Lamenting is not something that most of us are good at, and it's not something you can do in two minutes at the end of a service, but I do want to invite you, if there's a place in your soul this morning where you just, you know what, God, I just need to talk to you about this. There will be people here to pray with you if you'd like, if you just want to come and kneel, but I want to invite you to use this song as, as, a, as a closing prayer. Before we sing, the man who wrote this song lived in second part of the 1800s, lived in Chicago. He was a lawyer, a quite prominent lawyer, actually had lots of money, had lots of properties, a guy who really loved the Lord, had five children. 1871, tragedy hit his family. His young son, his only son, got scarlet fever and at four years old, passed away. The next year, 1872, Chicago burned and they lost their home. They lost a lot of his businesses, lost over half of his investments. Terrible loss for the family. The 
the next year he decided to go with his family, his wife and his four girls, and go back to England just to get away and have rest. Sent them on ahead, and he was going to follow a few days later. He had some business to finish in New York. Off they went, and traversing to England, the ship went down. The only one in the family that survived was his wife, Anna. All four of his girls were lost. He got a telegram from his wife from England with simply two words, saved alone. He went and got on a ship as quickly as he could to go be with his wife. As he's going across the water, the captain came to him and said, sir, this is the place that the boat went down. He stood and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it is well with my soul. 